I'm Alex. And I'm Steph. And this is Not Today. Yeah, time for the story. Ooh. Was that good? That was great. You like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you know we were recording now? Nope. You didn't know? Here we are. Here we are. How are we Oops. doing? <laughs> I guess we're a little punchy now. Yeah. Do you, we're doing. Do you want that in there? Sure. I'll leave it. Okay. What's, uh, what's the deal today? Uh, what's going on here? How, I don't, what I, are we doing here? What? Hey, bud, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? We're telling a story today, obviously. We tell a story How people live? every day. You say they survive? They survive, yeah. It's almost like that's the whole point. Maybe. Yeah. No, I'm excited for this one. I um, I tried to branch out a bit from my normal uh, stories that I, I tend to gravitate toward. I mean, I, I don't know if you've if anyone's caught on yet, but I typically like the uh, crime aspect of it. And I feel yep. like you tend to like the more wilderness survival aspect yep. of it. <laughs> yep. And uh, I tried to branch out and this is like kind of wilderness survival. This but also is much like, different. It's, it's much different. It's a little it's, shake up. Yeah. It's a little bit of a shake up, which I like. Um, yeah. So I guess we could just get Jump on into right it, in. you know? Why, Why is it different, Stephanie? Well, this What's story. What's going on? This story is basically about a guy who uh, escapes Nazis in Norway um, mm-hmm. during World War II, obviously. So, right. So this is like a World War II era uh, story, story yeah. which is exciting. So you, you know, you want to just get in there, you yeah, know, jump in. Escaped Nazis. How did? How did he, he do that? How did he get himself into this predicament? How did he get himself out of this knot? <laughs> All right. Um, so Record skips. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you're wondering how I got myself here. It all started when I... No, no, no. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I got a lot of my information from this website called Off the Grid. No, Off Grid Web and also telegraph.co.uk. Uh, so those are my sources for this one um so the year was 1943 let's start like that and not a great year no not a great year not a great year as far as year goes yeah not great uh and uh norway was under german occupation um norway had been neutral during the entirety of world war one and and maintained this position as hitler began to tighten his control over europe um politicians believed that uh, taking a pacifistic pacifistic stance would help Norway avoid most of the impact of this new war as it had been as it oh my gosh this new war as it had during World War One but unfortunately Hitler had different plans yeah <laughs> can you as tell that Hitler was does copy pasted from <laughs> <laughs> no uh, so um, the thing about Norway was they offered a very desirable naval naval stronghold in the North Atlantic, um, considerable natural resources, and more support for the Nazi empire, which would contribute to for their growth. You know? So they're like, we want you, Norway. Yeah. Um, even though Norway was like, no. We don't want you. Yeah, we it's don't want not you. mutual. Yeah, this is not a mutual. It's not working. No, I'm sorry. It's It's not me. It's you. <laughs> um, so in April of 1940, 
the Blitzkrieg came to Norway. And if you are like me and know the word Blitzkrieg, but didn't really know what it was, it's an in intense military campaign intended to bring about a swift victory. So basically they come into Norway and they're like, you're ours now, pretty much. Yeah. And the country would remain under their control until 1945. So... What had happened was most of Norway was like, fuck this, but a small minority welcomed the Nazis. So one man named, oh, oh I want to give a little preface I forgot to do at the very beginning. I want to formally apologize for all of the pronunciations that I have to give throughout this story because they're Norwegian or German or, you know, just any sort of outside the normal pronunciation zone of at Stephanie. least yeah for me yeah mm. so there's a lot and we're just gonna get through it and if i'm wrong please feel free to correct me but i just wanted to give we that tried. disclaimer <laughs> we're we trying i did try to look up the pronunciation for most of these words but you know sparse it's not i, I couldn't find anything so we're just gonna try our best so cool. basically there was this man named vidkin quisling um, he became a well-known supporter of the Nazi party in Norway, and his outspoken support for Hitler landed him a position as head of state, and his name actually became a synonym for traitor. So, wow. Yeah, so people... So he's like a Scandinavian Judas. Sure, yeah, that's... Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, people... I mean, most of Norway was, like, very much opposed to the Nazi presence, um, but so, however, many Norwegians bra bravely fought back against the Germans as a part of underground resistance groups. And one of these, one of those groups was the Norwegian independent company one, or better known as, okay, this is another one that I don't know how to pronounce company L either Lingi or Linge. Lingi. I, that's what I honestly, I like Lingi that's better. kind of what I was leaning toward. I was leaning toward Lingi. Okay. I don't know why. Company Lingi. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And after its, okay, so it was Company Lingi after its leader, Captain Martin Lingi. Mm -hmm. Yeah? Right. Um, so Lingi and his men were supported by the British Special Operations Executive and received training in Scotland before returning to their home country to conduct raids and sabotage missions against the Nazis. So, badass. Hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> yes. Um, and this is where our main character uh, comes into our story. So our story is about Jan Balsrud. Jan. Yeah, Jan. Let's go, Jan. Hell yeah. Who is Jan? Jan. So Jan was born in um, what is now Oslo, Norway, and moved with his family to Kalboten uh, in the early 1930s. He graduated as a cartographical instrument maker in 1939, which basically just means he made maps. He was a map maker. Hmm. Map. With a P, yes. Sure. Um, and Jan was a part of Company Lingi. Sick. So, on March 23rd, 1943, a detachment of four Company Lingi commandos and eight other Norwegians embarked on what was called Operation Martin Red. So... so sorry, this is 12 people total? Yes, 12 people. Um, and so, the goal of this operation was to use eight tons of explosives to destroy critical assets at a German airbase in the town of Barduf Bardufoss, Bardufoss in northern Norway. So they're trying to blow up some shit. They're trying to blow shit up. Yeah. Let's do it. Yes. With so eight tons? Eight tons of explosives. And they so, had... So 
Mm-hmm. That's like what are they? They each have a ton of explosives. Pretty much. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> well, so actually, the entirety of this eight tons of explosives was on a fishing boat, um, and when it landed in Reb Rebensoya, Reb Rebenness. I don't know. That's just you. Just gotta say yep. it with confidence. Rebens Rebensoya. That's a hard one. It's a hard one. It's got weird Rebensoya. Yep, that one's okay. The R Island. Island R. Um, it blended with any other vessel that, you know, potentially needed to make an unexpected stop for, like, engine repairs or something. So it blended in pretty nicely. Um, and on this island, one of the commandos attempted to make contact with a shopkeeper who was a known local member of the resistance. But unfortunately, the the list of names they had of the resistance members was just out of date enough that the shopkeeper had died six months earlier. Oh no. Yeah. So this commando ended up speaking to the man who had taken over this business for the shopkeeper who had died, and this person just so happened to be a Nazi sympathizer. Oh so God. the worst <laughs> combination what a of dickhead. things. Yeah. So, you know, after this interaction with the commando and the Nazi sympathizer, the Nazi sympathizer went promptly to the police and reported it. So now the Germans know that there's some sketchy shit going on. So now a German Navy ship moved in on where they had their fishing boat anchored, which was not too far off the coast of the island. So now these 12 men learned that Operation Martin Red had failed and they knew that they were in some deep shit. <laughs> they were like, yeah, there's oh, 12 of them. Shit. Yes. Um, They were outnumbered, they were outgunned, and they were completely trapped. Um, So the members of the company Linky made the difficult decision to blow up their own boat to destroy all of the evidence of their mission rather than hand it over. So, yeah, they're like, we can't give them this vital information. It's got to go. So kaboom, you know? Um, So as the German ship opened fire... They lit a time delay fuse and attempted to escape by jumping into the water. And Oh, that's cold. <laughs> I was just going to say, it is cold in Norway yeah, in dude. March. <laughs> it is yeah, cold. dude. And it's also, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but it's salt water, which is even colder. So, um, so our man Jan lost his shoe in his hurry to jump off the boat before the explosion. So he has one shoe. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> which sucks so not great in march definitely in not. norway in water in water <laughs> and then on snow sure. so as the ship exploded behind them the men had no choice but to swim for the shore where the nazis were already waiting for them so they didn't stand a chance um one man was shot on site and 10 others were captured interrogated and tortured and executed um just a couple days later in tromso um, and the only member to successfully escape was Jan Balsred. So Jan, who was 25 at the time, had been preparing to conduct an underwater demolition element of Operation Martin Red. Um, he, uh, had everything gone the way it was supposed to go, he would have swam silently to a number of seaplanes at the Bardufoss Air Base and planted magnetic limpet mines to destroy them. So this man could swim. <laughs> he was a swimmer, had those lungs. You know what I mean? Yeah. He got them lungs. So wait, was he doing this with like a wetsuit? I don't know. Or was he just jumping in the water in March? Yeah, I don't. I don't really know the 
exact specifics of it, but he was going to be like the designated swimmer, you know? Yeah. So he got them lungs. Um, mm. And uh, the operation obviously never made it that far, but it's believed that this preparation for the mission explains his like first steps of survival and why he was able to actually get as far as he did. So when Jan made it to the shore, he hid behind a rock as the rest of the men were rounded up. And so when German soldiers approached him or like, you know, approached where he was, he shot two of them and then ran up the snowy hillside, still keep in mind with one shoe. So (laughs) snow, not great. Um, And as the soldiers continued to chase him, he plunged back into the freezing water, which, like I said earlier, was salt water, which meant that it was several degrees below freezing. And he began to swim. And it was, I I, I have in my notes, I can't stress this enough. It was cold. (laughs) So... <laughs> if we hadn't mentioned that already, yes, like a few times. Yeah, I know. No, but so the thing is, like, there's there's a really good movie that um, is very historically accurate um, on Netflix called The Twelfth Man, and it's you just get a really good view of like his deterioration over time and like how the environment really like wears and tears on you, you know. So it's mm. it was cold. Like I felt cold just watching him. Mm. <laughs> so so he so he shoots two of them, runs back up, acts like he's going into the woods, but actually goes back into the water. No, so he went into a different like body of water. It wasn't oh, the okay. same like coastal thing. He like ran up the mountain and then like back into another like ravine. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So he. So the Germans were continuing to continuing to search for him on this island, but he managed to swim to a different island called Hersoy. Do you know how, like, what distance he swam? I don't know because, so there was um, a couple articles that I, like, went through to get my information, and one of them listed a different island, and then one of them listed, listed this island that I'm, that I said, but um, the island that, like, it looked like it was, like, a couple miles, which was couple cr- miles. which was crazy. And I was like, there's no way he swam miles. Like, and not, like, three or four. I think it was, like, 30 miles or, like, something crazy like that. But that's not the case. That's not what he did. It was a different island. But it was at least, it was a good stretch because the Germans, like, when they saw him get into the water, they were like, well, he's dead. Like, there was right. no... They just didn't believe he was going to survive. Yeah, because it was freezing cold below zero temperatures in the water and it was snowing and it was pretty much nighttime at this point so he they were like he's gonna die and so he swam to this different island and then as he got out of this freezing cold water and into the night he you know had to continue forward because he knew that they were going to continue searching for him so on this island Jan found two young girls who had been alerted by the sound of the exploding fishing boat that had happened earlier that day and in an interview with the New York Times in 2016, Dagmar Idripsen, who was one of the girls who found Jan, recalled that day saying that Jan was ice cold and his uniform was frozen solid. Wow. Um, yeah. But she said despite that, she described him as sensitive, courteous, and grateful attitude toward, toward her and her family as they helped him. Um, they gave him dry clothes and a pair of boots because, you know, one boot. <laughs> so yeah. they gave him a new pair. 
So Jan didn't stay long with them. Um, he knew that he had to keep moving so he didn't endanger the innocent people who helped him along the way. Because, I mean, these yeah, people are... Yeah, they're looking for him, and if they find them harboring a fugitive, the Nazis aren't exactly an forgiving. understanding type. Yeah. No, they'll, they'll be killed, for sure. Um, so he knew that, and he was like, I'm not going to put anyone else in danger. And so he just left. He kept, he kept, his, uh, kept on his way. So... When word got back to the German field commander Kurt Stage, Stage, um, Kurt Stage, that they only found and killed eleven out of the twelve men, he made it his personal problem to find Jan. He was like, "There's no way he's dead. He's alive, and it's your it's your fault that you let him get away, and now we have to find him," because oh. he knew that uh, if Jan wasn't found, it was going to be his ass, you know? Right. So over the next nine weeks, Jan was the subject of a nationwide manhunt by the Germans. He made it through northern Norway as a fugitive by moving very cautiously from village to village with the help of many people who very easily could have turned him in. He never settled in one place, as we said earlier, and as he continued, he refused to disclose who he had visited previously or where he was headed next. So it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't giving out anyone's information. Right, and if they did get caught... They didn't actually have anything to tell the Nazis. Right. So Jan's ultimate goal was to cross the border into Sweden because at the time Sweden was neutral territory. So once he got there, he'd be safe. Hmm. Um, Wait, so they took Norway, but not Sweden? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that was weird too, but it it was like... You have to cross over Sweden. What? Right? To get into Norway? I don't... Or is Sweden farther north? I think so. I don't know. Don't know. I just know that he was trying to get into Sweden because <clears throat> the Nazis were not in Sweden. So Cool. Sweden is home free. Let's go, Jan. Yeah, so that was the goal. And as he made his way through Norway, um, you know, all these townspeople just assisted him and gave him whatever he needed because he was a real beacon of hope for them. So um, of those we know of, there was a midwife who offered to disguise him as a woman in labor and hide him in her house. But wow. he, he, interesting. I know, very interesting. But he didn't accept that offer. Um, really? Yeah. Why? Be- because I mean, I don't know. I think he, I I don't know why he didn't, but he didn't. So maybe he didn't want to put her in danger. Or yeah, probably. Yeah, he just knew that they wouldn't stop looking for him until he was, you know, in Sweden and they couldn't get to him. But um, there was another man who sent a neighbor who was known to be on the German payroll packing when he came by when Jan was inside this man's house. So he was like, get the F out of here. Um, yeah. Yeah. There was a, a young girl who washed and bandaged his frostbitten feet. Um, there was a fisherman who gifted Jan a pair of skis. And there were a bunch of other people um, just like that. Um, but those are just a few that we know of. And all of them, you know, tended to his, his not wounds. I mean, I guess wounds, but his just like deteriorating state as he went along. So the skis were a big deal because they enabled him to move more quickly through the snow. Um, but unfortunately for Jan, he was hit by a sudden blizzard, which caused him to veer off course. So Jan was not doing well at this point. He was suffering badly from exposure and snow blindness, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, but snow blindness, did you know it was a thing? Yeah, I I think I've seen it in, like, some survival TV show. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like if you get, 
the, the reflection off the snow can like make make you go blind yeah yeah that's yeah that's exactly what it is um i have a, a little blurb here snow snow blindness also called arc eye or photokeratitis is a painful eye condition caused by overexposure to ultraviolet light when too much uv light hits the transparent outer layer outer layer of your eyes called the cornea it essentially gives your cornea a sunburn Ooh, yeah sunburn of the eye not good not 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 great not a great sunburn i've had some bad ones but i think i would pass on the eye sunburn yeah <laughs> gotta say um yeah snow blindness symptoms um include pain in your eyes headache blurred vision and temporary loss of vision so jan had all of that he had a pretty severe case of snow blindness and also not to mention this man is frostbitten yeah <laughs> like and as probably hypothermic yes very much in this terrible state he wandered toward the edge of Mount Yagavar, which was a 3,000-foot peak, at which point an avalanche threw this man down the mountainside 300 feet down into a valley, um, and somehow he survived that, but it left him confused and pretty much buried in snow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just confused. Just confused. <laughs> well, thank God he didn't break any bones. No, or... he didn't. Yeah. Well, didn't die, number one. Right. But yeah, I guess if he's just confused, you know, that's kind of the least of his problems. Right. I mean, that wasn't, I mean, that wasn't all he was. He was. was just... So he digs himself out or does somebody have to find him? No, he digs himself out. Um, wow. And at this point, he the skis had been destroyed in the in the avalanche and he was also separated from his pack of supplies so he's just just yawn digging wow. himself out and trudging forward as if it wasn't hard enough already right um so yeah this is not great and you might be thinking you can only go up from here but oh no no <laughs> no no no, no. no <laughs> shit gets worse yawn. not for yawn unfortunately so by this point Jan was absolutely delirious. He was hallucinating, and he even said that he heard the voices of his 11 comrades calling out to him at this point. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he was not doing great. But he, <laughs> this man really said, not today, TM, and got his frozen ass up. <laughs> TM. TM. <laughs> um, so in this state, he walked for three whole days, but managed to find a tiny village called Foof. Furuflaten, Furuflaten, and uh, collapsed inside of a farmhouse on the fourth day. Um, It it belonged to the sister of Marius Granvel, and who was luckily for Jan an active member of the resistance. Wow. Um, yeah, which is lucky, super lucky, like insanely lucky, because very nearby there was a German military like base. Uh, it had its headquarters there, and it was j- very close by. And if he had barged in there, he would have been dead. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. Dead. Um, so the Granville family stashed Jan in their barn for four days and saved his life with their care. Um, two German soldiers even searched the barn once, but walked out before checking the loft where Jan was hiding by a bale of hay. Wow. Yeah. So, like, they're Just... actively close enough to yeah. not get him i know yeah and like the germans are actively searching like people's farmhouses and whatever because they know he's out there so they're like we're mm-hmm. gonna we're gonna find him but they don't <laughs> not yeah 
they don't. You didn't, bitches. Um, <laughs> so, at this point, his frostbite on his feet had gotten so bad to the point where he just straight up could not walk anymore. Mm. Um, so, Marius recruited three others to help carry him on a stretcher past the Germans and row him across the fjord on a pretend fishing trip. Oh, my God. Yeah. How so, did they disguise him on a stretcher? Did they take him at night? Yeah, they they took him, like, on a sled, like, a, on a sled, basically. They, like, tied him uh, and, like, dragged him pretty much through the mountains. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So, after this journey, the villagers left Jan in a six-by-nine-foot shed with food and some supplies, um, and they were intending to return in a few days with a plan to transport him to Sweden. Hmm. So Jan jokingly dubbed this shed Hotel Savoy after a world-renowned luxury hotel in London. He like he called oh, yeah, it his Hotel, hotel Savoy. Savoy. <laughs> yeah. So um, Marius convinced a local school teacher and carpenter to make a sled, um, despite the fact that the German soldiers were literally camped out in the school. Um, but yet again, Jan got hit with terrible weather. Excuse me. He got hit with terrible weather, which delayed the villagers' return trip. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, this whole story is just... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Jan, no. Jen's already been through so... Or, sorry, Jan's been yeah. through so much. Mm-hmm. It's like he really wasn't... Uh, he wasn't at the uh, bottom. He wasn't at rock bottom yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. So Jan began to see the signs of gangrene in his feet his frost-damaged feet, and uh, he saw that it was beginning to spread up his toes. So this man sterilized a pocket knife that Marius had left with him in the flame of a lantern and fully amputated one of his big toes and sliced pretty much half of each of his toes off. Um, oh, my God. Because he had to cut the dead, the dead flesh off of the tips of his toes, otherwise it would spread up to his legs. So he cut oh, off his toes pretty shit. much. <laughs> yeah. Um... And a bottle of homemade liqueur was his only anesthetic. So he just bit a rag and cut off his toes. Well, he probably took a few shots first. Well, yeah, but that's rough (laughs) if you have to ask. Bottle of booze. Yeah, I can't even imagine. So he was cutting off the frostbite or the gangrene or just both? No, he was... So the gangrene was, like, causing his, like, your toes pretty much go black. At least that's, like, what it looked like in the movie. I'm sure they... Did research on what gangrene looked like but uh yeah his toes were like just black and he had to cut them off he had to cut off the black bits so is it like once you see gangrene you're just fucked you gotta chop it off i guess i don't really know i mean at that point there was no like there was no option of like potentially getting antibiotics you know yeah that's, like yeah it was it was either cut off your toes or you could lose your legs kind of thing so and die. For, i would <laughs> Opt for toes. I would opt for toes too, but I, I, can, I can't imagine it was pleasant, you know? No. To, to say yeah, the no. least. So um, after spending 12 days at his Hotel Savoy, villagers were eventually able to cross the fjord again and assembled their sled on the shore uh, to drag Jan further into the mountains. Um, so they eventually left him in a rock crevice on the side of a boulder. And this boulder was about 15 feet high and 18 feet wide with a gap on one side just large enough to cover a man. Um, And they told Jan that 
in only a day or so, some more people would come to bring him further and hopefully through the border to Sweden. So there was a miscommunication between these two teams of men. And Jan remained there for more than nine days. Uh, So he's just like... Exposed. Exposed I mean, and, he's on like, a rock. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's like kind of like nestled, is that a word? Nestled. Nestled underneath like a rock, like face. Not. He's not like in a cave or anything. It's truly just like a little crevice next mm. to a boulder. So he's kind of shielded from, I suppose, like the wind, but he's not great. Like it's, he's not, he's pretty exposed. Mm-hmm. And you might say he's between a rock and a... A hard place? Mm. Yeah, I would say that. (laughs) So so he lay there frozen and alone, exposed to the driving snow and sub-zero temperatures. And the miscommunication was cleared up, and the group of men who had been searching for this exact boulder, because they knew that he was by a rock, but they they couldn't find the rock. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were. Wait, okay, so w- number one, what was the miscommunication? So I believe the miscommunication was where this boulder was. Okay. Because this this me- this group of men had been searching for the boulder, and then they couldn't find it. So then they went back to this other team of men who, like, put him there, and they were like, we couldn't find him. And they realized that he had been out there now for, like, days, and they were like, oh, shit. What mm-hmm. do you mean you couldn't find him? So then they went back up to the boulder themselves, like made sure he was still alive, like gave him food and stuff. And then they were like, okay, now's the real time. These men are going to come find you. And he was like, great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Number two, follow-up yeah. question. Mm-hmm. Was their direction just like, go find the boulder? I don't know Did what they they're... have perhaps a little more a specific yeah i mean this guy is a map maker well you Jan know? isn't the one doing it he's they Hello. like everything can was we enlist much... Jan's help i mean he, guys i don't know but they they did manage to find the boulder <laughs> the correct boulder right right so i just would imagine that there's more than one on a mountainside for sure but i mean it yeah. was like a pretty it was a pretty big distinct boulder gotcha. it was like you know but it's a anyway, nice boulder. It's, it, that's a nice boulder. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, they finally found Jan. Um, so yeah, they found Jan underneath this boulder, and they were, you know, they're like, "We're here to transport you to Sweden." Like happy days, and uh, so they, you know, they hook him up to this this little sled, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they give him a blanket, and he's all strapped in there. Yep. And as they're pulling him, they got caught. In a blizzard. In a blizzard. In a blizzard. Wow, this is a th- this is a trend here. Yeah. For so Norway. They got caught in a blizzard and they had to turn back. So Oh god. So this man cannot get out of fucking Norway. <laughs> he cannot catch a break. So they decide their best bet was to leave Jan in a cave to wait out their, you know, weather and also they had to wait until they had the all clear to finish their journey because there were Germans everywhere. So it wasn't it wasn't like they could just go any time to this border because the border was being patrolled by Nazis. Mm-hmm. So not great. So in this in this cave, the gangrene in his feet continued to spread, forcing him to amputate the rest of his toes. <laughs> so just the full toe. Toeless wonder. He's he no toeless toe. wonder. He he got. No Is it toe on both of his feet? Yeah. Oh wow. 
You ain't got no toes. Um, which is tough. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about, like, can he walk again? Yeah. Can he ever run again? I don't know, but he... Like, how important are your toes? Pretty... I don't know. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if it was literally all of his toes, but definitely... Most of his toes? Definitely most of his toes. Because he couldn't be... He couldn't keep warm, you know? Like, he yeah. he was... It's a little bit difficult in yeah. uh, in Norway. No, and also exposed to blizzards and just snow and just not even, like, next to a rock. Yeah. Just next to a rock. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not great. So, yeah, so he had to amputate at least most of his toes. And uh, Jan would later say at this time he really contemplated suicide in that cave. Because he... Who can blame him? He's I been, like, how long has he been on the run now? Like, month? More? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole ordeal took about nine weeks or something like that. Oh my God, two months. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think at one point he may have attempted to shoot himself, but his gun was frozen. Like, oh, it wow. wouldn't go. Um, but, you know. Oh, I got chills. Yeah. That was like fate. Yeah. Um, yeah. So while Jan laid there, and waited, the villagers that helped him along the way would come back and feed him and tend to his feet and change his socks and bring him blankets and um, because, you know, he's just in this cave waiting. So Jan was seriously a real symbol of hope for these people. And even though they all knew that they were really risking their lives trying to help him, they needed something to believe in. Um, and Jan spent a total of 17 days in that cave, just laying and waiting because he, he couldn't wait, he couldn't walk. <laughs> No walking. Yeah. Um, so at this point, the Germans were everywhere and the snow was beginning to melt, which was a problem because they needed to, they needed the snow to transport him because they were pulling him on a sled. Mm. So the resistance members asked the Sami native tribe members for help. And they came up with a plan that they were going to attach the sled to a team of reindeer to conceal Jan's passage into Sweden because I, the Sami native tribe tribe members were getting ready to like, I don't know what the, like why they were transporting their herd of reindeer like that way, but like they were. Is it seasonal? Yeah, I think it was like a seasonal like migration of whatever. So they were like, okay, we're gonna hook him up to a reindeer, and that way the the Nazis of the border won't see him or like will have a hard time spotting something going on with this just random herd of reindeer, you know. Mm. So, so they attached him to the reindeer and uh, the reindeer raced across the frozen lake into Sweden just ahead of Nazi gunmen. It took 63 days for Jan to find his way across the border into Sweden. So that's like, what, nine weeks? Is that about, about? Nah, yeah, it's about two yeah. months. Yeah, so in Sweden, Jan was collected by... A, collected. <laughs> he was. He was collected by a Red Cross seaplane and flown to Bowdoin, where he was admitted into a hospital. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Jan is in a hospital. So at that time, he only weighed 80 pounds. Oh my God. How tall is he? Do I don't know? know how tall he is, but he's 80 pounds. Uh, yeah. Any any normal sized <laughs> human being should not yeah, be yeah any pounds. just human not even man just human yeah 80 pounds um so he spent seven months there putting on weight regaining his eyesight and learning how to walk again on his disfigured feet 
Um, and less than a year after re reaching Sweden, Jan returned to Scotland, where he trained other Norwegian resistance member members and allied forces along with the British SOE. Uh, but he wasn't he wasn't content to live this sedentary life, which his uh, while his countrymen were still fighting. So he right. traveled back to Norway to aid the resistance directly and witnessed the liberation of his country as the war ended on May 8th, 1945. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally have That's in my notes awesome. asterisk. Horn noise. Horn noise. Air horn. Air horn. <laughs> so. Wow. I can't even imagine the elation he must have felt in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I don't It's like, I don't even know. I, I honestly so he was on the ground helping the resistance. Mm-hmm. He was training them. Wow. Yep. That's such a big fuck you to the guy who made it his personal mission to find him. Yep. And actually, speaking of that, that guy, Kurt Stage. Kurt Stage was sentenced to death for war crimes and executed in 1947. So, big F you to that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So He got what you deserved. He did. He really did. He really did. Um, also, Kurt Stage, just such a generic... It sounds like a fake name, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> That's all I had to say sure. about it. It's like, <laughs> sure. also, just fuck that guy. Also, just <laughs> fuck that guy. Um, so the British honored Jan by appointing him an honorary member of the Order of the British Empire, and the Norwegian government awarded him with the St. Olav's Medal with Oak Branch. Um, he married an American woman and started a family and served as chairman of the Norwegian Disabled Veterans Union. Jan said that he never saw himself as a hero. He believed that the men and women who kept him alive uh, were the real heroes. Um, and Jan Balsrud died in Oslo uh, on December 30th, 1988, when he was 71 years old. Um, according to his wishes, his ashes were buried with, with Aslik, uh, Aslak Fosval, one of the Norwegian resistance members who aided him on his journey. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, his story lives on through films such as Nine Lives, The Twelfth Man, which is the Netflix movie that I watched, which I highly recommend. It's very good. Uh, as well as books, TV documentaries, and a remembrance march that takes place every year in Troms, Norway. And that is the story of Jan Balsred. Wow. Yeah. Is he, like, he has to be, like, a legend. Oh, like, yeah. Like, it's, uh... Is it is it almost like a folk tale? I don't like folk tale sounds like the wrong term, but like, do you know what I'm kind of getting yeah. at? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, he is very much like a, a symbol of like resilience and hope. Greatness, and, yeah, greatness in general for Norway. Yeah, it was a the Twelfth Man was a really good movie. It really it really does a good job of depicting like just how badly this man like in in the, he was in the worst shape, you know, due to like the cold and the falls and the like there was so in the very beginning when he's getting out of the water and like yeah you know with the nazis who are like literally chasing him right then and there the his toe gets shot off his one of his big toes gets shot off shot off and i saw in a couple of articles that it was conflicting whether or not that was actually true so mm. i didn't keep i didn't put it in the like story but that also happens in the movie it's which like a is rumor. Like, yeah like i don't know if that's actually what happened or if it, if it didn't happen but he definitely amputated his toes so he definitely yeah, has he definitely toes. did that so like even if he 
did get shot, he cut that shit off anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a very good, it's a good movie. Long one, but very worth it, I, I think. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, like, going back to that moment where he's, like, swimming to a different island. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were those Nazi guards, I'd be like, yeah, he's probably dead, too. Like, yeah, two miles yeah. in water that's below the freezing point. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, I think people who do triathlons or can swim miles um so like that i don't think the distance is uh crazy yeah but the conditions that he did that in is just superhuman oh absolutely yeah i mean and that's like why people think that his like training for this operation martin red was like so important for his survival because not any person could do that you know yeah and did he have like a handgun or was he have like a rifle no he had like a pistol he just had a pistol yeah wow Mm -hmm. and i'm sure the nazis chasing him had like fully like real guns yeah for sure damn yep um oh yeah swimming Mm -hmm. yeah so i saw this thing where a lot of people like a lot of norwegian people will attempt to do the same journey that Jan did. Like, Mm -hmm. they track his journey and they try to, like, do it. And, like, I don't think people really ever can. Or I don't know if no one has ever done it, but it's, like, a very intense track, obviously. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously no shit, but, like, that is something that people do. Like, they they attempt to do Jan's journey, um, which is also interesting and, like, like, an honor to do i guess you know what i mean is it like yeah i has like no one ever finished it i don't know that no one ever has but i i did see that it was like not many people do so i think someone probably has but yeah but i mean you have to remember that he spent what seven months or um, a year in the hospital Mm -hmm. yeah like to come out of that other side not needing a hospital is like something totally different yeah I don't know, but that that is the story, and it's it's intense. That is a, it's a it's a uh, like a, a different type of story than than I usually do, which I was very excited about because it it was such a good one. Yeah, I wonder how many other there has to be so many other like World War Two stories like oh, that. Oh, absolutely. And um, the other thing that I was thinking this whole time is that I actually took a class um, that was a lot about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. but it was interesting in the case of Norway because there was some uh, Nazi sympathizers like you mentioned but for the most part uh, they're uh, they were like very culturally cohesive and they saved their Jews because they were like we're just not giving them up yeah yeah they like refused to give them up because uh, they were all integrated and like a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a really interesting case. Yeah. Like how tight knit the that they were. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, it was so incredible to read about and to see in the movie like the people who truly, truly risked their lives um without a second thought and like brought him into their homes and you know, these people had children, they had you know, they they were caring for their, their parents a lot of the you know, a lot of them and like they they took him in without a question and they tended to him and they fed him and they gave him the best things that they possibly could have given him like that man gave up his skis and like that was a big deal and and Jan was like I can't take your skis and he was like if you don't take them I would be so upset 
Like, please take my skis. <laughs> I will smack the shit out of you if you don't so, take my skis. Like, if you didn't take these, it would be terrible. So, like, they just gave whatever they could, and it was so incredible. And he really was such a symbol of hope for them, which is amazing. And yes, he's a hero, but they also are very much the hero in the story. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I highly recommend the movie. Very good. Yeah, and... For how long of his journey could he not even walk? Like half of it. Half much. of it. Like actually. Wow. Yeah. Which is why it's That's so a incredible. Long month. Yeah, because it's not. It not only is it like they took him into their home and they tended to him and they fed him and you know sent him on his way with whatever they could. They carried him. But they literally carried him. Like for half of his journey. Yeah. He would have died. No question. Yeah. A they lot put the of the team time. on their back. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's it's so crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Whew. All right, let's end on that. What's yeah. your good thing? My good thing is that I started reading a book, and I haven't read um, a book in a while because, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube and TikToks, and I have very we're short gen- We're Gen Z. We're Gen Z. We don't read. Come on. But kick-flipping off of that, <laughs> I also started a book. Hell yeah. Um, it's way different than yours, but I, I do like it. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. It's a self-helpy book. Sure. Yeah. That's good. I want to get... There's a self-help book that I have been looking into, but I haven't pulled Pull the trig. trigger, if you Pull will. Pull trig. Yeah. Do it. Um, yeah. But this book is good. It's like a... It's about like King Henry, the whatever number, the one who had like all the six wives or whatever and beheaded yeah, a beheaded couple of some them. of them. Yeah. So that's interesting. But yeah. But yeah, kind that is... Kind of a is, dick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude. What a douchebag. Yeah. beheading his wives yeah. what do you think he is? not cool not cool um yeah but thank you so much for listening <laughs> and if you'd like to follow us on instagram to keep up with the photos we post or links or things of that nature follow us on instagram at not today underscore podcast if you or anyone you know has a story of survival or true crime or paranormal or really anything send us a story we would love to read it uh and hear from you our gmail is no today podcast at gmail.com we just started a TikTok. We are not at a podcast on TikTok. Anything else to, to add in there? Just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>